Welcome, 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 welcome. Back, 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 back. Two, 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 two. Another, 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 another. Episode, so, so. Of, 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 of. The best, best, best minutes podcast. Uh, it was took a long time. Each week, Movies by Minutes hosts examine the 1946 William Wyler directed film, The Best, Best, the best years of our lives. The best, the best, the best. Years, 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 years. Of, of, of our, 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 our lives. Us, us, us. One minute of screen time per episode. I'm Murrin from Point Break Minute and the cast in The Furious. And with me as before is my dad, Bob Keckley. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Glad to have you back. Yeah. We, so last time uh, we, um, let's get right, get right down to business. Uh, last time uh, we saw Al getting into the shower, uh, and this is uh, this minute, which is minute I think sixty four. We're doing that counting right. Don't trust me on the numbers. Um, this is the minute we, we see him. Uh, he's singing among my. Is that the name of the song? Among my souvenirs. I believe so. I didn't know the song myself, but uh, it's probably a popular one in the era. Yeah, it looks like, well, here's a recording from 1959. That doesn't, but that must have been a later recording. Later recording, yeah. It's a 1927 song. Uh, there you go. Uh, recorded by the Kit Kat Band hmm. on uh, September, September 19th, 1927. It was a number one chart hit for Paul Whiteman in 1928. Oh, okay. Do you know that name? Oh, sure. Yeah, he had a big orchestra. In fact, he was the one, uh, he had the band that first recorded Rhapsody in Blue by George Gershwin. If oh, I remember right. that's yeah, pretty big. A, yeah, it was a band version rather than the full orchestra version that came much later. But uh, yeah, he but, was a great uh, uh, supporter of Gershwin and, and others. I wish he actually didn't know that. It's just sort of an aside. But they, so the, there was a big band version and then the orchestra version was, was like it was adapted later for that kind of? Yeah, I think Gershwin did both, but the original was uh, with a big band. Oh, nice. Paul, the Paul Whiteman Orchestra. Yeah. Let's check out the lyrics of this song, see if there's anything illuminating there. But yeah, the, the, uh, Al is in the shower and he's singing, uh, there's nothing left for me of days that used to be. They're just a memory among my souvenirs. Some letters, sad and blue, a photograph or two. I see a rose from you among my souvenirs. Uh, so it's just sort of a sentimental song. A, uh, I, when, he, when I heard him sing, he's singing the part where he says, among my souvenirs, you don't really hear the other lyrics too much. And that, some reason that just pops into my head is like he, he we've seen him with the, the Japanese sword, um, giving, trying to give the sword to his son, and he has he has some medals. I think it just made me think of like war souvenirs. Yeah, there was a flag with some writing on it too that yeah he collected. Uh, also, you know, he before he went into the shower, he was uh, reflecting on old photographs and his that's youth. true. And so it's it's kind of souvenirs from you know, before the war. Be when yeah, before he, he uh, could even go back farther. Yeah, he's kind of thinking about. The way things used to be. The way, yeah. Isn't that a song too? It sounds like it could be. <laughs> the way things used to be. Just you and me. Something it writes itself. Um, so yeah, he's singing the song. And then we see 
<clears throat> one more bit of comedy. Kind of sad that he he uh, he is wearing his pajamas in the shower, and he's just. I guess he's just woken up enough at this point from the water to realize that he is still dressed. Yeah. He didn't realize yeah. it at first, but now he's fully uh, conscious, I guess. Yeah. And throughout the scene where we're kind of, it just intimates that he's not, he, he's still uh, having a little bit of alcohol effect uh, from yes. the night before hangover anyway. I mean, he wouldn't be drunk at this point, but uh, he's, uh, just still suffering the effects. Yeah, he's not not all there. He drank a lot. He really got hammered last night. Yeah, and when Fred woke up, he you know he he was he made no secret of uh, uh, having a headache and really you know when they offered him breakfast, he he didn't know whether he could <laughs> even keep anything down at first, and you know it's so yeah. they they all went at it pretty hard the night before. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Encouraged by Al, mostly. Yeah, uh, he was yeah. sort of leading the charge in that. So yeah, he he uh, jumps out of the shower. He's wearing his pajamas, and he immediately starts <laughs> taking off his pajamas to sort of get get back to where you know Becca get back in in line to where he's supposed to. Be. Your shower, you know, you're naked. That's what you're supposed to do. So that's I guess that's what he's going to do. Sort of get get things back where he's supposed to be. Well, and then. Make her a good excuse to show him because he couldn't be shown naked. So, no. it, <laughs> so a, yeah, I think I brought that up in the last one. Like he's not they they can't show nudity in 1946. Uh, it's even pretty rare now, at least male nudity. Um, but yeah, definitely couldn't do it at all then. So uh, you you wouldn't be able to jump have that bit and jump out of the shower. Although there wouldn't really be a reason to otherwise. It's yeah, it's a nice little bit. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I feel like you, you would have to be pretty out of it to not take your pajamas off for yeah. getting in the shower. Yeah. I guess yeah. that's, that's where he's at. Yeah, it's slapstick humor. It's, it yeah. doesn't have to be realistic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's where, that's where we're at with him at this point. But yeah, then we, you brought up Fred. We go, go to Fred and Peggy in the car. She's driving him over to his wife's apartment uh gonna give another shot at getting in there he he tried to get in before but he was either too drunk or well, there's something iffy going on there um we can talk about that yeah it didn't even sh didn't show him doing that before he just he said, rang the buzzer right or, or something i don't know if it showed that in an earlier scene it just he just reported that he couldn't find anybody home yeah but yeah I, anyway so uh you know whether she was but you know she works nights marie his yeah. wife works nights so it's likely that he didn't find her home but yeah he's uh, he's found out that she works at a, a nightclub now yeah and uh if i remember right uh she had not been writing to him so they had not even been in touch mm -hmm. for a large uh part of the war time yeah uh, so he has no idea what she's been she he didn't even know that she was working yeah he's just finding all. all this out now or and, and she, she yeah she had been living with his parents i think right that's right that's right she moved like okay we're married now so you can live with my parents and then we'll all sort of live together when i get back or figure something out and then she moved out into an apartment yeah and as, he's just figuring that out from his parents learned a, when we learned a little bit more about her we could see that there was not a good fit between her 
and his parents. You just couldn't see that happening. <laughs> yeah, you will. It's it's already fairly clear, but you see more and more as the the film progresses. But anyway, he's talking to Peggy, and uh, Peggy asks him what you do before the war, and he says, "I was uh, a fountain. I was a I was fountain attendant or a soda jerk." Uh, is a very uh old-fashioned kind of job to have uh you don't see that around really uh, it's all automated now i guess um, right and in the days when he was doing it well no i don't know i i, I certainly remember that uh in a the next generation in the 50s uh they were still doing it but you never saw an old person doing it it was yeah. Always, oh yeah. It's like a young, yeah. It's like a, a young a person's job. <laughs> you do it while you're in college or, or you yeah. know, when you're even in high school, if you're a teenager, I'm sure. Yeah. And I don't know how old uh, Fred is supposed to be in this movie. Uh, if he was, you know, in his twenties or what, but uh, you know, the actor is 37 or something, but yeah, he's playing a little younger probably, but he might've yeah. been like in his early twenties when he left for the war. It's, it yeah, really so it'd be late twenties, uh, but played by somebody who's ten years older than that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Although t- Teresa Wright, I think, uh, plays Peggy, and she is uh, she's twenty eight or so. The actress in this, yeah, she's supposed to be playing the daughter of Myrna Loy, who is only forty one. Yeah. So they're they're only a dozen years apart, but uh, you know Teresa Wright was kind of noted for playing younger uh, mm-hmm. roles. Uh, I think in '44 she she was in uh, Shadow of a Doubt with mm-hmm. uh, uh, with Joseph Cotton. Oh, that's a great movie. Uh, have you ever I've, seen? It? I've seen it. Yeah, I don't remember too much about it, but I know I've seen it. It's Hitchcock. Yeah, and, uh, Joseph Cotton is is called upon to play a kind of a a villain that is so debonair and easygoing that you don't want him to be a villain. But uh, he does a great job in that. Nice. And, and she's supposed to. Teresa Wright is supposed to be playing. Um, somebody in late adolescence. Yeah. Uh, but she's really 25. So uh, she plays, he plays Uncle Charlie and she plays Little Charlie. And, oh, cute. And, uh, and he just, she just looks up to him when he comes to town as somebody who's going to, uh, you know, open up the world to her. And then it turns out he's a serial killer and she's, she gradually suspects. So great Hitchcock movie. But yeah. So that's yeah, and she was also, she played the daughter, Alexandra, and the Little Foxes, uh, also, which you brought up earlier, also directed by Weiler. And that was in 1941, so she might have been at least close to the right age for that. Right, right. So it would have been uh, about 20 for that. Looks like 23. Yeah, she was born in 1918. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. Some, some people like that, you see, I feel like you see it a good amount these days. Um, Act, certain actors who start off as child actors or teen actors, and then they never quite—they just kind of, you kind of associate them with that, and they—and uh-huh. then in some cases they don't, their features don't change to a degree that you see them differently, like Michael Sarah. Oh yeah, yeah, who, that's a good he, example. He's been playing adults for a while now, but uh, he usually has to grow a mustache or something just to sort of make it different enough. Yeah, he has a young look anyway, but yeah. Uh, yeah. But because he did his breakout work 
as a uh, kid. Uh, yeah. I think he he did play teen. Yeah. Like he, he was in Scott Pilgrim versus the world. He was probably in his late twenties by then or mid twenties. And I think he, he definitely played teen roles for several years later Yeah, after he was a teen. So it happens. And, uh, it's good work if you can get it, I guess, you know? Yeah. <laughs> That's what you got. Turn down go roles. Yeah. <laughs> it's got a career going anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Michael J. Fox was another example that uh, it took him mm-hmm. a while to, to actually get to roles that weren't that earlier thing that he did. Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely, yeah, he, he's, has kind of a higher voice even, and, uh, and definitely has a very youthful energy or had a youthful energy. Right. Right. I just read, I think he's, he is, he finally retired. I think I read recently. Perhaps, he officially yeah. retired. Yeah. I, I think I read an article in the newspaper about him recently, uh, maybe reviewing his last book, which mm-hmm. I think he's written four different memoirs. Uh-huh. One after the other, um, which kind of chronicle his life and his, uh, the progression of his disease. Yeah. And it's uh, remarkable. Yeah, he's an interesting guy. Very, and I'm sure there's plenty of interesting. He's almost yeah, an interesting historical figure, just for movie history, and and then uh, what happened to him with the Parkinson's. Just uh, yeah, and then he kept he kept he made he was on made TV appearances and film appearances for a while after that, and just yeah, very successfully. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah, she gets uh, uh, Teresa Wright, uh, Peggy, and and uh, Fred are in the car, and he talks about being a soda jerk and. He has a bit about saying, uh, I used to throw the ice cream right up in the air and I'd test the wind velocity and I'd literally land right in the cone every time. And right, that's where right. I first learned to drop bombs, I guess. Yeah. Uh, that's, which that's is kind of nice... amusing. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, I was going to say something about, you know, soda jerk being an old job. I, I kind of wish, I mean, I think you can find them. Like you can go to like an old style diner or something. I'm sure there's some you could find. Um, yeah. I bet they don't do as much stuff as they used to do. No, as no. fancy he... somehow. And, and I think we talked last time, uh, later in the movie, we see him actually do it. Yeah. He does have to go, unfortunately, back to that job after trying really hard to find something else. Uh, but uh, it, it shows him, you know, making the Sunday with all the toppings, all the, yeah. the, the uh, fancy stuff. And it. Uh, yeah, it kind of made me think, I like one of those. <laughs> yeah, and I think it reminds me, it's kind of like, it's almost like what a bartender does, except it's for not alcohol, you know, a kid. Yeah. And like right. a bartender is a fun thing to, you know, it's fun to, I, I don't drink, so I don't get to like do that kind of stuff. I don't get to go to a bar and just order a drink whenever I want. I, you know, I do sometimes order something non-alcoholic, uh, but it's a very fun thing to have a bartender make something for you. Yeah, you get Put it to down watch the counter, and yeah, yeah, you watch him do it, and and it's very personal. Uh, yeah, yeah, and you sort of, you can talk to him while you're doing it, uh, yeah. and and it's it's just kind of a fun thing, and I think it's it would be cool to have that for people who don't drink or for people who are underage. You know, you can just go in and like chat with someone at a at a bar sort of you know table, uh, and uh, just make an, you know ice cream or soda or whatever. Yeah, it's yeah. a cool thing. I like it. So uh, yeah, Fred's saying, I don't think I could get excited about that, though, you know, after the war. And I think that's that's something that's is definitely examined in this movie and, and, and in others where it's just kind of the boredom that sets in. Yeah. After being a soldier, then 
normal life doesn't seem interesting anymore, especially a job like that, which is so frivolous. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the difference between, you know, being, um, what was he, a captain in the Air Force? I mean, it was, is a fairly high rank. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. He had it. He know, was a, yeah. He made a pretty high rank and he was, and he was decorated. Yeah. Uh, as, yeah there's a story of him, you know, he got a medal for bravery. Yeah. All that life. stuff. And then going back to this, this humdrum job as a soda jerk is, uh, you could see how that would be so hard. Yeah. Uh, because he actually did uh, not just succeed in, in the air force, but uh, uh, go beyond. And he was yeah. well trained. He got a lot of training uh, for a job that is not easy. And and he was and, paid well. Yeah, all that stuff. He was a high rank. So suddenly, all that stuff is gone. And he has to start all over. And that and and that experience doesn't mean anything anymore. That's right. That it's job is, is obsolete. Mm-hmm. And it seems like yeah, he probably flourished. You know, he, he must have flourished in that environment. Like he did, he fit in well and and uh, was very successful and had a high rank. And he was sort of like, this is probably, he probably felt like this is something that, you know, I, I feel like I'm good at and uh, yeah. I can contribute. Yeah. And then going back and having that not matter anymore. Yeah. It's hard. It's interesting. You know, I was thinking about Dana Andrews face. Yeah. Uh, he has a certain way of holding his jaw uh, that um, makes his mouth look very straight and, and, a kind of the uh, epitome of the um, uh, the macho guy, not macho, but um, yeah, the guy who uh, in the war would have been uh, portrayed as a, a strong silent, a type. strong silent type. That's it. That's what I was trying to think. Although a strong is, silent type. He's not a yeah. He is kind of that. Uh, he's not. He's kind of talkative though. Like he's not really you know a stoic type. Right. I was just thinking of the facial. But yeah, facially, like the facially, if you see him, that's what you think. Yeah. Yeah. And that somehow the way he holds his jaw uh, also has that. And, and uh, I, I think that's a good thing in this uh, yeah, context. It, it works. And like for me, when I first was introduced to his character, I was like, oh, this is like the prototypical like war hero, uh, you know, especially like an airman, you know, like this sort of very uh there's something about being you know being in a war and flying an airplane right i think he did he drop the, he dropped the bombs i guess yeah, he, did, he, he wasn't the a bombs. pilot but he was in an airplane he was in a bomber yeah, uh, yeah and and look at uh you know marie's reaction to his uniform is yeah. huge yeah and she doesn't want him to take it off ever yeah. you know let's go out no wear your uniform that's he, a really good scene and he and, and he was does not want he doesn't ever wants to look at it yeah <laughs> and he's got all these medals and he doesn't want to talk about it and you know yeah. all that stuff it's it's uh it's quite a message uh yeah and i, I think like he's still you know i i think he doesn't it's not that he wants to like forget about his you know his success in war it's so much i think he, it having the uniform is probably a reminder that that's in the past now. Right. Uh, yeah. It's, that's an interesting, it's an interesting conflict there. But it also contributes to the look. Of, yeah. Yeah. Of he has the, the look. The strong, that, silent that you, and, type uh, with the, other the two uniform. Guy, that, that's yeah. sort of part of his thing. And the other two guy, main characters don't have that as much. Uh, they right. have other you things. You, know. see, you never see either of them in the uniform again. 
no, no. They they abandoned immediately. Um, but of course, he he hasn't had a chance to get to his other things yet. I think so. He's just still that's what he has to wear. Yeah. You know, he was in um, a movie the next year, I think, 1947, called Night Song. Um, and that was also with, wait for it, Hoagie Carmichael. Oh, nice. <laughs> and, and it's kind of strange. I haven't seen it, actually, but uh, uh, strange that uh, Dana Andrews plays a blind piano player. Oh, and Hokey Carmichael, the real piano player, is his boss, the band leader. So, oh, interesting. You, know, you wonder. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. That, that sounds like that definitely sounds like the handsome actor going for an interesting role. Like, yeah, I, I just played a war hero in a good movie. Now I, I want to do something a little different. I'm going to play a blind piano player. Yeah, although the blindness was from a, a terrible car accident. So you could sort of almost make the connection that, yeah, uh, sure. you know, uh, a war experience or a, a terrible car accident. But Interesting. Anyway, yeah. All right. Well, yeah, that's about the end of the minute. He says, uh, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do, but I'm going to take plenty of time looking around. And uh, that's, that's the end of that minute. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we'll catch you next time on the Best Minutes podcast. Uh, I've been Murrin and my dad, Bob. Uh, we will, in closing, uh, uh, oh, of course, you can find the Best Minutes podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play, or at the main site, thebestminutes.com. Uh, social media is available at Butch's Place, the Best Years of Our Lives Listeners Cafe on Facebook and on Twitter at The Best Minutes. The Best Minutes. And please join us here next time on the Best Minutes podcast for the next minute. Hey, Joe, you better hurry up out there because she's taking off soon. Right, thanks. Come on, Taylor.